Let us pray. Father, how grateful we are that you are the author of life. You are our source, our strength, our hope. And so even now, draw us close to you. We invite your spirit in our midst. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. As I begin, for full disclosure, um, I'm recording this after the Sunday service. Last week, we had some technical difficulties, and our wonderful sound team wasn't able to capture the service and the sermon, so I'm recording this because I think it's important to make it available to our entire church family. So this weekend was the March for Life and all of the events that took place in Washington, D.C., beginning on Thursday night with our youth summit that our youth participated in virtually here at the church. And we had a wonderful time of discussion. Father Jed was here with a number of our youth. Then the next day on Friday, we had the prayer service at the Falls Church in the morning. And then a large number of us traveled by bus to Washington, D.C. to participate in the March for Life. Then Saturday, yesterday, was a wonderful time at the Falls Church and also virtually for some folks for the Anglicans for Life Life Summit that is an annual event that is just a wonderful time of coming together and to learn and to grow and understand issues of life um, from birth all the way through natural death. And today, this Sunday, is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Hence the scripture readings for today. Um, reflect that, and I feel very strongly compelled to preach regarding the sanctity of life this morning. Friday at the prayer service at the Falls Church before the March for Life, the preacher was Bishop Clark Lowenfeld of the Western Gulf Diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, and Bishop Lowenfeld brought a wonderful message. One of the things he talked about is that it's important for us as Christians not to grow too comfortable in the place where we are. And he shared the story of many years ago when he was a priest serving in South Carolina. His former bishop in Texas called him and suggested that he should consider coming to a church in Texas. And Bishop Lohenfeld said at that time, you know, to his bishop, you know, Bishop, I, I'm really very happy where I am. Things are going well here etc., etc., and his bishop paused for a moment and said to him, Brother Clark, it sounds to me like you've grown a little too comfortable. And he left it at that. And Bishop Lowenfeld said that he then wrestled in prayer with a number of sleepless nights, long conversations with his wife, and did indeed decide and determine that he felt that God was calling him back to Texas. It is indeed important that we don't grow too comfortable in our place in life as Christians. As we look at the sanctity of life today, I also want to give credit because much of what I'm saying, I've gleaned from a document that was published several years ago by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops called Living the Gospel of Life. We hear a great deal today regarding specific issues when it comes to matters of life. Clearly intense battles are raging around us in our culture. And for many people, even Christians, the focus immediately goes to politics, to red, blue, something else, or something in between. And I am not in any way minimizing the significance of life issues in this regard that carry over into the realm of politics. 
But that must not be our starting place. Our concerns as Christians and the need to speak to specific issues in our day must grow out of a thoroughly biblical, life-affirming worldview. A view that is comprehensive, which informs the entirety of who we are as disciples of Jesus, redeemed by his blood. A biblical, life-affirming worldview must be at the core of who we are as individual Christians, as families, and as a church. Then, then from this worldview, from this way of being in Christ, in the grace and love of Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we then speak to and address specific needs and concerns in the world all around us. So when we look at a life-affirming worldview and ethic, we need to begin with Holy Scripture. What does God's word speak to us about human life? And then secondly, how do we cultivate and support a culture of life right here at All Saints Church? So what does scripture say? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 27, at the creation of humankind, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In Job 33, verse 4, we read, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, which was our psalm for this morning, we read, For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. In Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, we read, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. In St. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 3, we read, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then finally, in Acts 17, verses 24 through 25, we read this. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This testimony about life is not just found in Holy Scripture It is also in continuity with the teaching and the understanding of the early church. One of the earliest non-biblical documents that we have from the early church is a document called the Didache. Didache means the teaching of the 12. And these are teachings that were handed down from the apostles to their early disciples in the late 1st and early 2nd century. And the Didache says this, and again, When I say commandment here, it means the instruction of the Didache, not the Ten Commandments in Scripture. The second commandment of the teaching is, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not corrupt boys, you shall not be sexually promiscuous, 
You shall not steal. You shall not practice magic. You shall not engage in sorcery. You shall not abort a child or commit infanticide. And then the Didache continues in the fifth commandment. But the way of death is this. First of all, it is evil and completely cursed. Murders, adulteries, lusts, fornications, theft, idolatries, magic arts, sorceries, robberies, false testimonies, hypocrisy, duplicity, deceit, arrogance, malice, stubbornness, greed, foul speech, jealousy, audacity, pride, boastfulness. It is the way of persecutors of good people, of those hating truth, loving a lie, not knowing the reward of righteousness, not adhering to what is good or to righteous judgment, being on the alert, not for what is good, but for what is evil, from whom gentleness and patience are far away, loving worthless things, pursuing reward, having no mercy for the poor, not working on behalf of the oppressed, not knowing him who made them, murderers of children, corrupters of God's creation, turning away from someone in need, oppressing the afflicted, advocates of the wealthy, lawless judges of the poor, utterly sinful. May you be delivered, children, from all these things. See that no one leads you astray from this way of teaching, for such a person teaches you without regard for God. And then Hippolytus, another early church father, writing a little bit later in the third century, went through a whole list of things that a newly converted Christian needed to turn from. And one of the things that Hippolytus lists is that if one was a gladiator, one had to leave their life as a gladiator. Why? Because it involved the taking of human life. It involved a lifestyle of violence. Quoting from, the gospel, quoting from the gospel of life. Excuse me, I'll get to that in a little while. Clearly and unambiguously, Scripture and the testimony of the early church affirm the value of all human life. The value of all people. From conception in my mother's womb, Psalm 139, 13, to the time when God, our creator, calls us from this life. We must move simply beyond numbering our days because all life is indeed precious to God. All life is precious in God's eyes. You and I, every person who has ever lived, is living now or will ever live, is created in God's image. We are bearers of the image of the living God himself. Life is sacred. All human life is sacred because God, God has said that it is. He has said this both in his word and he has demonstrated this in his life creating and life sustaining acts. In our culture, too often, the value of life moves into the subjective realm. And you will hear people around us, sometimes even in the church, tragically saying things like, well, this person has diminished capacity. They don't have the same cognitive abilities as, as normal people do. 
their life is burdensome to the health system, to society, to their family. They have physical disabilities which make them somehow worth less than other people. But no matter what the world around us subjectively says about human life, God's objective truth is that every single person, no matter their disabilities, no matter their cognitive capacity and capabilities, every single person is an image bearer of God himself. Every single person is created in the image of God. And there's nothing the world around us can do or say that changes this objective, eternal reality. Again, quoting from Living the Gospel of Life, no one but the creator is the sovereign of basic human rights. And that begins with the right to life. And then the document continues. Respect for the dignity of the human person demands a commitment to human rights across a broad spectrum. Followers of Christ must be committed to the defense of life in all its stages and in every condition. Cultivating a life-affirming worldview, a culture of life here at All Saints Church begins with this foundational truth. Men and women... Boys and girls, old, young, those with disabilities, born and unborn, are created in God's image. And every human life is precious, precious in God's sight. That's why every Sunday in the prayers of the people, we pray this prayer. We pray for all expectant mothers and unborn children, that they may be protected and delivered safely. We pray for the elderly, those with infirmities or disabilities, for those who are alone and all at risk and vulnerable people. As persons created in your image, may they receive proper care, their dignity and worth be affirmed, and their lives protected. Clearly, there needs to be a starting place for cultivating a life-affirming biblical worldview and culture of life. And that place must be a defense and valuing of human life at every stage and in every condition. Especially when there are direct and immediate threats to life. The act of taking of human life, such as abortion, euthanasia, and assisted suicide. However, and please hear me. However, a thoroughly biblical, life-affirming worldview cannot and must never stop there. Today's gospel reading from Matthew 25, Jesus points this out to us in no uncertain terms. Feeding the hungry, giving the thirsty clean water to drink, welcoming the stranger and alien, clothing the naked, caring for those with sickness and disabilities, visiting those in prison. Caring for the least of these is indeed essential to a life-affirming worldview and to developing a culture of life here at All Saints Church. And what Jesus says here in Matthew 25 is not unique to this particular text of Scripture. It is consistent with the testimony and the witness of Scripture throughout both the Old and the New Testaments. 
look at the requirements of the Old Testament law and what the requirements of the law had to say about caring for those who were hungry, about welcoming strangers and aliens, about the just treatment of workers. We read very clearly that when when someone harvested their field, they weren't to harvest all the way to the far edges and corners of the field, but to leave some of that for the poor to glean so that they would have something to eat. That's the story of Ruth and Naomi in the book of Ruth. Ruth was a Moabitess, and she came to Palestine, to the Holy Land, to the land of Israel, because there was a famine in Moab. And how did she meet Boaz? She was out gleaning on the edges of the field. Those areas that in adherence to God's law were left unharvested for the poor and the needy. Look at what the minor prophets say, especially Amos and Micah, about how we treat the poor and aliens and travelers and sojourners in our midst. Look at what they have to say about the just treatment of workers. God's word affirms the value of life from beginning to end. In living the gospel of life, we read, Opposition to abortion and euthanasia does not excuse indifference to those who suffer from poverty, violence, or injustice. We should eagerly involve ourselves for the weak and marginalized in all areas. Yes, direct opposition and active taking of human life must be a first priority. But a thoroughgoing, thoroughgoing culture of life entails much more as well. So as I conclude this morning, let's talk in some practical ways about this does, what, what that does, can, and should look like for us as we continue living into God's call for us as All Saints Church. And I've tried to, with a little bit of struggling, condense this down to two basic categories. And the first is this. God is calling us to life-affirming, radical compassion. It begins with seeing every person as God sees them. It begins with seeing every person as an image bearer of the most high God himself created in his image. The reality is this can only happen by the grace of God at work, transforming us and making us more like Jesus because everything we're saying here is incredibly countercultural. It's countercultural to the world around us, and it runs against what we see and hear in the world around us across the spectrum, across the political spectrum at times. Because radical compassion sees people through the eyes of Jesus Christ, no matter who they are, where they have been, whatever they have done, or whatever has been done to them. God is calling us to see people created in God's image. To see people for whom Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died. We see people as sinners in need of forgiveness, grace, and the transforming power of Jesus in their lives, just like we were and are. We see people, whoever they are, like Jesus when he saw the hungry crowd and fed the 5,000 in Matthew 9, where we read, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We see people like Jesus sees people. We see people lost and harassed without a shepherd. We see people and we have compassion on them like our Lord had compassion on them. And in all of this, we remember that there is no place for pride or boasting in ourselves. Our boasting is in our Lord and in him alone. Because the old saying really is true. There but by the grace of God go I. There but by the grace of God go I. That could be me in that person's position. That could be me with that addiction and that struggle. That could be me who's hungry or thirsty or in a crisis pregnancy. Apart from God's grace. And it's easy to point the finger at people around us in the world when it's not a struggle we've been through. It's not a struggle we can identify because we've not been there. But sometimes we as Christians have a double standard because if it is something that has been our struggle or is our struggle, then there's great grace. But in every case, we need to remember there, but by the grace of God go I. And our hearts need to be filled with compassion. The Church of Jesus Christ in the United States is faced with a wonderful opportunity and challenge potentially in the days ahead. With the Dobbs case before the Supreme Court, it, there is a very strong possibility that Roe v. Wade is going to either be completely reversed and overturned or substantially modified. Now, now, please understand, if that happens, it doesn't mean that it's an end to abortion in this country. It just kicks things back to the states, and there's much work to be done because abortion will be made available on a widespread basis in many states. As a matter of fact, I just heard on a program on the radio that there are 16 states who have laws that Roe v. Wade is overturned will make abortion illegal, but the total number of abortions in all those states does not equal the abortions that take place in one single state, New York, that has stated that they will continue providing abortions at every stage of life through the ninth month. But this potential for further restriction or overturning of Roe v. Wade presents an opportunity to us. Now, regardless of what happens, God's people must remain steadfast, firm, consistent, and loving in teaching and living out the truth. But the church may be given an opportunity with more moms bringing their children to term. And we must rise in Jesus' name to meet their need. Not saying just have your baby. Not saying here are the reasons why you should have your child and not have an abortion. Obviously, that's where we have to start. But providing help for the needs of the mother, the parents, and these children, not just in the short term, but for years to come, because a, a biblical ethic, a biblical life-affirming worldview can never decouple these two things. Yes, have your baby. Give your baby life. But also, we will walk with you, and we will support you, not just in the next few days and the next few months, but we will come alongside of you long term. And then secondly and finally, life-affirming, radical 
hospitality. Jesus, as we've read, had compassion on the crowds. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus also says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is calling us, All Saints Church, to be a radical zone of hospitality for Jesus. That means that we welcome people. We welcome them as they are with all their stuff and with all their mess. And sometimes that can get a little uncomfortable. It can get a lot uncomfortable and it can be a lot of hard work. But we welcome them with all their stuff and all their mess. And we invite them to meet Jesus and to be transformed by him as they experience his saving and transforming power in their lives. We invite them to meet Jesus as we reach out to them with love in his name. We welcome children. We welcome single mothers and those in crisis pregnancies. We welcome the elderly. We welcome those with dementia. We welcome those with both long-term and terminal illness. We welcome people with disabilities, both physical and mental. We welcome those who've been in prison. We welcome those who've been, who have participated in and been broken by abortion. We welcome the hungry and the homeless. We welcome the immigrants. We welcome the rich who in many cases think they have it all together, but whose lives may very well be a wreck. We welcome single parents and those with no family. We welcome those with addictions. We welcome those whose lives have been ravaged by sin. We welcome all who are heavy laden. And we invite them to encounter Jesus and to be set free and transformed. And like Jesus, we walk with them in compassion, addressing both their spiritual and their physical needs. And we build on what we are already doing. If you have been broken or participated in abortion, there is help for you in this church. Susie Spear is available and can walk with you or point you to people who will walk with you, whether it be a man or a woman. There are people who can walk with you and bring you to that place of full healing and a deep and profound reality of forgiveness through Jesus. We have men in this church every week who lead Bible studies in local prisons. We're in the process of launching our cancer outreach group called Our Journey of Hope through Simon Cronier and Lucia Anderson. And we envision that beginning here in the church, but eventually becoming an outreach to the entire community, to people who desperately need to experience Christ's mercy and compassion in incredibly difficult and challenging circumstances. We have our grief share groups that meet cyclically online to help people going through grief. Our food giveaways, Untrimetry, Operation Christmas Child, our prayer ministries that walk with people and pray with them and help them to experience God's presence and healing in their lives. Our missions partnerships that we have developed both here in the community through groups like Common Recovery, Hildeborg and Streetlight and the Bill Mayer Drop-In Center. And also beyond our local community around the world through groups like 
Anglican Relief and Development and SAMS and Anglican Frontier Missions. So we build on what God has already called us to do. And we continue to press in and to grow into this call of radical hospitality, of radical compassion, of a comprehensive, biblical, all-encompassing worldview that affirms the value and the dignity of every human life. And as we do that, as we press into God and we press into the truth of his word, he will increase and continue to do an ever greater work within us. God is calling us to this All Saints Church. God is calling us to press in, in the name and the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. To reach those who are broken and desperate and in need, spiritually and physically. People who are precious in God's eyes. People who are created in the image of God himself. And to say to them, regardless of what this world says about you, you are precious in God's sight. Jesus gave his life so that you could know life here and for all eternity. And I believe God is calling us to press in, to hear his voice, to know how each of us as individuals and as families and as a church can more fully walk in his will in this regard. So would you bow your heads and pray with me as we ask the Lord to speak to us even now about how he would have us more fully press into his truth in this regard. Let us pray. So Father, you are the author of life. And we give you thanks that all people are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image at the moment of conception and that we are your image bearers through all of life. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us now. Lord, show us as individuals that to which you are calling us as families and as a church. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to us even now. Father, show us your heart and will. Lord, bring us to repentance in those areas where perhaps we haven't been as fully life-affirming as your word guides us to be or that your heart instructs us to be. Lord, show us how to be that place of radical godly compassion, of radical godly hospitality, to see people through the eyes of Jesus. And Lord, give us grace to press into your call, not in the weakness of the flesh, but in the power of your Holy Spirit, knowing that you are our great and all-sufficient God. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.